right, class, if you could have a seat and shut the fuck up. I only have 45 minutes to teach you everything about topic I took a whole semester of classes on. I know normally we start these episodes with some silly, shitty music and some dick jokes, but they recently took that out of the budget, and since I can't afford on my own, we're going to jump right in. Now, public education fucking sucks. And the U.S. especially almost always has. But why? What about education is so hard for people to wrap their heads around and actually do right? Why does it fall to teachers so often to make the system work? And why is everyone getting on their ass about it? This week on Why Aren't You Talking About This? and welcome back. Did you miss me on my month-long break? No? Anyways, like always, I am your host, William, and I'll be guiding you on this episode's journey through the wild world of teaching, one that just about every person that's heard what my degree in thinks I'm going to be part of. Which is offensive that they think that lowly of teachers and think I'm that much of a masochist. But anyways, thank you so much for listening. It means the world that you have my voice blasting into your eardrums. And also, as a quick note, if I sound a little off this week, I'm sick. I'm still recovering from an illness. I'm not, like, actively sick still. Uh, And just like last time, remember that episode 20 is a special episode where we look back on the last 19, and you get to tell me directly in an episode that I am both wrong and stupid. That, and also give feedback, and it lets me go back and talk more on previous topics and stuff, but... You know, call me dumb in an email to get on that episode. Or don't. I mean, you could also talk about extra details I missed. Uh, But beyond that, just remember to download, stream, whatever it is you can do to share the show, and make that number that makes my dopamine flow go up. Alright, and with that, let's get on to the show. Since for once I didn't entirely spoil what we're going to be talking about today, what is the topic? Well, we're going to be taking on something that might in fact be one of the biggest reasons for this podcast existing in the first place, besides having people in my life that are way too supportive of my aspirations, but simultaneously not supportive at all. The K-12 system. And that's not a positive thing that inspired this show. It's actually quite the opposite. I mean, you've seen the public school system before, right? It and us are motherfucking ways that we don't want. But, you know, that being said, what exactly is the K-12 system in the first place? Because it's not all education and schooling in America. In fact, school systems in America can be divided between K-12, private, charter, home, and collegiate. Now, private and home schools are pretty self-explanatory, 
One is a school you pay a lot of money for to ensure your child has extremely high education and also overblown expectations of how not terrible the world is. And the other is when public schools won't let your child say the N-word and praise Mormon Jesus in the middle of class, so you teach them yourself while stunting their social skills and also have an overblown expectation of how not terrible the world is with a bad education. If you can't tell, I dislike homeschooling for personal reasons. Now, we'll actually be covering college and university in a couple weeks, so I'm not going to go over that much. But charter schooling is when you send your kid to a school receiving public funds, but without public oversight. So it's like a private school, but cheaper and also horrifying in all the ways that that could possibly be. But K-12 is the free public option available to all people, and it's the topic of this episode. And this system covers kindergarten to 12th grade being about 13 years of free-ish education that begins when you're 5 years old and continues until you're 18. And unlike the other systems where you need to reach out and either send your kid to them or move, public school kind of, sort of comes to you. Because the body of students within each school is dependent on the school district, being an area in which you live. Now, these districts have a ton of leeway in how, what, and why they teach students and who they hire, as long as they follow the federal and state guidelines, which are looser than I aspire to be. And much like gerrymandering, these districts can be cut up really weirdly and can also be built on politics, racism, and other forms of scummery. They can also be built on common sense. You know, like a district might cut itself off at the borders of a town way out in the middle of fucking nowhere instead of trying to claim the entire highway and trying to poach students from the urban center 40 miles away. But this combo also means that people in close proximity can have vastly different educations and narratives about their education. Like one school district being given a history textbook written in the 1950s that gets republished every year and sold for $500 just to get that sweet, sweet that's supposed to feed my family money from the teachers that praises the Founding Fathers as infallible god-emperors, while the next town over gets the book written by a 1978 anarchist smoking pot out of a dirty boot of a Vietnam vet, calling them bumbling idiots that only managed to win the revolution because they were rich. But that aside, what is the purpose of the system? Most practically, it's to provide both education and supervision for free, giving parents time to work and also ensuring that these little crotch goblins know everything they need to know for step-bro U.S. government to fuck them once they're an adult. You know, a.k.a. prepare children to either enter the workforce or continue on to college. It's also meant to expose them to other kids, both emotionally and socially, as to make sure they're prepared to make those connections, be involved in the physical world, and also engage in extracurriculars and clubs to discover and become involved in both hobbies and careers. Now, that's the product description of the K-12 system on the Amazon page, but let me be the first to tell you that if that's the intent, this is at best a two-star review. But we'll get into the issues in a bit. In the meantime, let's talk about a year-to-year breakdown of what students generally learn. Also, as a side note, looking into these made me realize how much I cannot be a teacher. I am so fucking impatient that I could not sit there and try to teach 30 idiots how to read the word cat. But beginning in kindergarten, you 
basically are figuring out how to be a person. But because of that, you learn basic socialization and communist fucking values, like sharing and being nice to people, uh, basic self-esteem and independence that the entire world will spend the rest of your life trying to fuck out of your ass, and how the and how to work on academic projects in both group settings and independently. But because it is school and not Granola Town, you also learn the alphabet and sounds, simple and short words like cat and fuck, counting somewhere into the 30s, and adding or subtracting numbers below 10, identifying shapes, and also doing things that a three-year-old in the ancient days could do, like tell seasons, time, also, understand the existential nightmare that is watching people die in front of you. Oh, sorry, that last one just happens sometimes. But overall, kindergarten is basically just ensuring that you have a baseline understanding of how the shit show we call life works. Alright, so first grade is really mostly improving what you learned in kindergarten. So improving your math and number skills, some fractions and math operations, money and patterns. Also, increasing your vocabulary with words like house, grandfather, and cunt hose. Reading simple stories by yourself, retelling and answering questions, identifying parts of a story, understanding phonics, and composing basic writing. And on the science side, introduced this year, identifying states of matter, asking scientific questions, distinguishing between living and non-living, which, holy shit, you probably should have known that already, understanding cycles, and the basics of how plants and animals work. Now, mind you, this sounds simple to you, but remember that this is a six-year-old with their six-year-old stunted fucking brain that hasn't even developed any trauma-to-table personality traits yet. This is a ton of complex and wild shit for someone who is that young. But next, we move on to second grade, where you begin to develop critical thinking and problem-solving as, like, the overall goal. Which I think means we either do a bad job at this or everyone skips second grade. But you do math stuff like understand the meaning, uses and representations of numbers, accurate addition and subtraction, analyzing and interpreting data, measurements and properties and characteristics of geometric shapes. For writing and grammar, it's textual information to determine story elements like character, identifying the meaning of things based on context, beginning the writing process from draft to revision and information gathering, distinguishing between complete and incomplete sentences, quotation marks and punctuation, and spelling irregular words. And for science, this is when you start doing scientific reasoning and logic, measuring in scientific units, uh, science concepts to everyday experiences, and describing scientific processes. And this is also when you pile social studies into this pile of garbage, like basic economics, geography, and nationalistic concepts, as well as the idea of citizenship and indoctrination into the U.S. And yes, I'm going to say indoctrination, but also keep in mind, all education is indoctrination. They're essentially the same thing, but with very different connotations. But yes, your second grader is probably learning all of that in one year. Third grade is essentially doubling down on everything taught above. So under math, we have mental math, multiplication and division, and understanding fractions, charts, and graphs. For writing, there's describing characters, main ideas in writing, and using context clues, understanding genre and the writing process, 
writing long pieces of text in chronological order, and writing in different genres. You'd also be learning proper noun and verb forms, parts of speech, prefixes, suffixes, homophones, and sentence types. Holy shit. In science, you learn how to make observations, collect data, understand life cycles, features of the earth, and how organisms in the environment interact with each other. And for social studies, you learn the states, concepts of economy, U.S. history with the era of exploration and colonization, which is extremely whitewashed because holy shit, the raw data from that era is horrifying, and characteristics of various current and also well-known old and dead cultures. And this blends directly into fourth grade, where for math you estimate sums and differences, listen to find multiples and factors, math with money, algebra, and geometry. You also read key features, comparing ideas, characters, events, and settings and stories, learning different narrative types and comprehension skills, as well as writing skills like research, summaries and opinions, written interpretation, and writing informative articles. Now, you're also taught spelling rules, verb irregularities, commas, and colons. Hard, hard, hard. Just laugh it up. And all that writing stuff makes me want to sarcastically tussle the hair of a kid learning these things and thinking that that's what writing is and tell them, bless your heart, like a classy southerner or trailer trash Oregonian. In science, you learn to represent data in tables and graphics, participating in scientific activities and learning practices, uh, exploring components of various systems, comparing and contrasting, and forming predictions based on cause and effect. And for social studies is becoming an active citizen, which, Jesus Christ, map reading, U.S. civics, and shit about ancient civilizations. And moving on to fifth grade, things start to get kind of focused. So for math, you're doing decimals, formulas, and probability. For writing and grammar, you summarize and paraphrase information, read and interpret graphic representations, Analyze the writer's perspective and compare points of view. Use interjections, prepositions, conjunctions, titles, and perfect verb tense, as well as understand the writing process and writing a narrative. For science, you're learning movement of matter and ecosystems, chemical reactions, state changes, solutions and mixtures like bleach and ammonia, and finding ways to fix pollution and mass extinction events before you realize the reason nothing is happening isn't because the adults are dumb, but because they're evil. Yes, heavy episode, but fuck you, the world sucks, and I still don't live in a hand-built cabin in the middle of the woods with an internet connection and a farm. So I'm taking it out on you. Anyway, social studies. This is also when you learn about the classical era, like ancient Greece and shit. U.S. history up to the Civil War, which, funnily enough, comes after the Civil Rights Movement, so you lose all the context for why that was happening, which is absolutely intentional and also when you learn to find u.s states on a map which honestly i think you probably should have been learning that when you were learning the names of the states again the last grade we're going to cover because post sixth grade learning objectives really splinter around individual districts rather than being general learning objectives also fuck seventh to twelfth grade i'm not going back and you can't make me you think i'm insufferable now you haven't seen insufferable until you've seen how I was back then. But anyways, in 6th grade, you learn to understand averages, proportions, ratios, compute retail math, and complex mathematical formulas, 
angles, measurement conversions, and, and solve word problems, which, again, some of those you should have been doing earlier, i.e. word problems. You also begin to study figures of speech, essays, brainstorming themes, and complex and professional writing. You'll also learn Newtonian physics, elements, astronomy, and energy, and for social studies, you'll learn ancient advances like domestication philosophy, and you'll also learn about medievalism, as well as the horrors of the Civil War and Native American genocide, but whitewash to the civil disagreement and the Native American cooperation. But now that we've covered that, what specifically is the system good for, and what does it do wrong? So for the pros of the K-12 system, the biggest ones are preparing students for college, the workforce, and giving them foundational knowledge to function in the real world. And for college, you spent 13 years in education, so you're ready to continue it for another, what, four to eight years without too many hiccups. You've basically become an expert student. For the workforce, you have all the information and basic skills needed to do about half to three quarters of the jobs available in America. And for knowledge, you aren't only learning highly valuable skills in math, basic history, reading, writing, and foundational concepts of science to allow you to bootstrap yourself, but also not be a burden on society. By a philosophical and ethical level, you're much more resilient to, to horseshit than someone who didn't receive any education. Think about it. You know germ theory. Meaning you're better off to disbelieve crazy people who tell you, that you can pray away COVID than serfs were in the 1300s when people told them to pray away the plague. And also, you're leaving school the most knowledgeable and cerebral you very well might be your entire life unless you go to college or get into something stupid like podcasting. But there are other benefits as well, like how using the K-12 system can support independence in children and young adults by giving opportunities to pursue extracurriculars, clubs, independent work time, and free time during things like lunch breaks. The system also creates stages of education where kids learn things in manageable chunks. Because think about it like this. Let's say I give you a five-year-old whose parents are absolutely still alive, and I tell you, make this soft-brained little dummy ready for college by the time they're 18. You have a lot of work to do, and the massive number of things you have to teach them is overwhelming for everyone involved but me, because I skipped town on an unrelated matter. But tied into this is that the system promotes an ease of understanding, which is to say that while they're going through these smaller, manageable chunks, they're able to pull information cross-disciplinarily and from previous learning experience to understand the new material being taught to them which is one of the most important academic and life skills you can learn, and it's the most fucking important thing you can do. And this helps you to mature because you have to calm down and stop being a no-tax-paying burden on the economy for two fucking seconds to remember what you did six months ago. And tacked onto this is that the K-12 system prepares students for a global economy. Well, how is that? Well, because a lot of places in the world use public education and some form of K-12. Meaning that most places, even if they have a vastly different culture, have a unified education system. Meaning that someone could immigrate to just about any of these other places and have a similar basic understanding of how things work, and people there are assured that this fuck-headed American vaguely understands how living is supposed to go. I mean, as much as Americans do anyways. 
but less measurable are some of the other benefits, like how it offers a conducive working and learning environment, being surrounded by similar locations with peers and similar levels of emotional and social development, learning the same thing, helps students to not only focus, but also ensures there's a collective focus to the lesson that students can keep up with. Now, the system also encourages respect and obedience, and I know you fucking anarchists and leftists out there are sharpening your pitchforks, but take a second. Every society has a level of obedience in the hierarchy, and while it is important to question, obviously, one of the goals of education is making you a functional member of the society meaning that by schools having a clear designated ranking and separation between grades, staff, and educators, it teaches students what the rankings are and reinforces conformity. Which again, I know there's pushback against conformity, but that's literally what a society is. Structured conformity. K-12, being highly orderly and organized, also helps students, staff, and educators become and stay organized. Which for students is a great life skill, and for the actual people doing the job of making sure your kids aren't shitbirds, is extremely helpful to know where things are and what needs to get done. Now, the system also promotes development and diversity, because as students are forced to interact with and do things they don't normally do, they get chances to grow socially, emotionally, physically, and academically, also becoming comfortable around people different from them and learning that not everyone is the exact same. Which, if you live in America, you understand how much we fucking need that. And finally, it allows your kids to socialize and become quote-unquote normal. And look, I get it. Being normal is overrated, and people put so much emphasis on fitting in and being another cog in the machine that everything becomes at best boring and we're soul-crushing. But being normal is an important skill. Because think, you think you aren't normal. But if you have a job, friends, a romance partner to smooch and or cuddle, a house you either rent or own, and aren't in jail, you're able to turn that weird off or dial it back some. And why do you have that capacity? Because you were socialized, probably in a school, that sometimes weird isn't appropriate. Now, think of someone who can't turn their weird or crazy off. I know a few, and one of them is an insufferable asshole I want to throw off the roof like Suge Knight did to Vanilla Ice, and the other makes me cringe a lot because he really just doesn't understand all the ways he sounds incelly sometimes. So doing K-12 allows you to fine-tune your weird to be able to pass in polite society as a functional person. Okay, but now the bad shit. Firstly, this system creates factions that don't exist in the real world. Students are sorted by grade, which is essentially age, and then often sort themselves into smaller tribes and clans that 90s kids will remember as cliques. While cliques very often exist in workplaces in the real world, they are often based on things from the movies that these 90 kids refuse to realize are garbage, like the very vague goth and jock, but are instead based on friendship and common interests and have a ton of overlap. In the real world, you don't know what someone's social circle is. And with the age thing, once you leave high school, for the most part, no one gives a single crumb of a fuck about how old you are unless you're 18, 21, or 65. Those things are to judge you harshly, are for legal reasons, or they're into weird sex stuff and you need to not be near them. Now, the next four are all intersectional. Those being that K-12 is lengthy, 
repetitive, tiresome, and reduces student interest in knowledge and education. So with it being lengthy, 13 fucking years is a long time, even for most adults who have the context of a lifetime behind them. But for a child where an hour at the grocery store is literally a statistically significant portion of their lifespan, 13 years is unimaginable. My very first oppressive episode was in first grade literally because of this realization. I realized that in June of that year, I still had about 11 years of school left or another, or another, let's say, two of my entire lifetimes. And you wonder why I'm fucked up. But anyways, the repetitive nature is also troubling for a lot of students and honestly teachers. Because often the methodology is bash something into your brains until it sticks even if it's something you just straight up cannot learn with that method. And this forces students to study for long periods to try and memorize something rather than understand it and constantly retake things like tests and classes, which isn't how real life works and also isn't how learning works. And the system also really takes it out of you. Most schools operate about eight hours a day, five days a week, for somewhere in the ballpark of 180 days a year for 13 years. You know, only 93,600 hours. Which is longer than some people's entire careers. And this is to start your life. And most importantly, because of this grinding advance and suffocating feeling of always having school tomorrow, it turns a lot of people off to learning, or they learn a way to learn that doesn't work for them and only causes them burnout. Now, also, the entire system is costly. At the beginning with students and staff, they have very little personal time. And for students especially, this is problematic because they are trying to become a person basically every way, which requires a whole shit ton of work, and not giving them a chance to do that work only sets them up for failure, leads to burnout, and makes it hard to do anything but academics. And this also costs parents a lot because... Sure, their kid is being watched and taken care of for the most part, but they don't get to see them. They don't get very much time with their kids since they're always in school or preparing for school the next day or doing homework, and this means they can't share values or pass things down to them for 13 very formative years, much less give them adult responsibilities or teach them to be a functional member of society in ways schools don't teach you. And it's also costly for the government, seeing as it's a system that costs a shitfuck amount of money, always needs more money because how we do education is fundamentally wrong and not only gives no promise of return, but actively tells Daddy Sam he won't be getting this money back and will instead need to trust that in 13 fucking years this five-year-old is going to be paying taxes. But this ends up benefiting private schools because since they are faster, more focused, higher quality, and generally give your kid a leg up in the job market, and their only competition is none of those things, and also free, they can just essentially name their price. Which, if I gotta tell you that letting capitalists name their price is a bad thing, you might have taken a wrong turn from the Joe Rogan show. Also, if you did, I want to know how you got here of all places. Now, the other thing is that public schools, because of high demand on the system, limited resources, and honestly some of the dumbest and or carenest motherfuckers in the district almost always being in charge, a lot of the facilities within schools are inadequate and don't take the needs of students into account, or 
entire facilities and programs might be missing or just cut entirely. Like art programs, niche clubs, elective classes, even things like the library or bathrooms may be in desperate need of repair and updating, or in case of libraries, I've seen sometimes they're just straight up gone. And finally, and maybe most damningly, K-12 schools are both way too specific and way too generalized. And what I mean by that? Well, K-12 is treated like a factory line producing workers. If you don't fit the mold, you're just kind of fucked. You know, because K-12 is highly focused on producing and catering to average students that can function in society and pass tests, if you fucking suck at tests or need extra help, or let's face it, some people are just dumber than a box of rocks, public education will eventually leave you behind because even if teachers notice, they don't have the time, nor bandwidth, nor resources to actually help you out. And if you're gifted, then good luck, you fucko. Your experience with the education system is going to be the same as when you play a game that claims to be open world, but when you get into that open world, it is 300 in-game miles of grass and NPCs T-posing in the middle distance you can never get closer to. You will finish your work early, be eager for more, they will give you something that's either too hard or bullshit, and you're smart enough to know that. You will get burnt out and uninterested, and then they go, oh, they're fucking dumb or have autism, guess we'll throw them in special ed or wait until they kill themselves, and then you graduate with a mistrust of authority, difficulty staying on task, multiple addictions, at least one anxiety disorder, and an, inab and an inability to socially connect with people because you spent 13 years as an outsider in a system you spent the majority of your life in. And no, I'm not bitter, and no, that's not personal. And Pivoting from that depressing note, let's romanticize the ancient past with the history section. Alright, and once again, we begin in prehistory. And don't worry, this timeline should be relatively short, since we're just going over generally how education has been handled. But in prehistory, given that there wasn't, like, you know, a ton of shit to learn, to most, education was done through lived experience. You know, like, apprenticeships adults telling children stories and lessons, and being taught hands-on skills needed to survive within the society. And because just about anyone could do just about any job at any time, you weren't given a specialized education, so there wasn't the need for someone to be a dedicated teacher, and there was no job specialization to, like, go to college for. And all of this changes in the era of early civilization. Between 3000 and 1500 BC, when educational systems begin to develop more robustly. Now, as people began to be able to specialize and thus improve their craft and build upon each other, not only did apprenticeships become more and more common, but formalized education did too. Like the Sumerian and Babylonian adubas that spread literacy to the middle class, ancient Egyptian priesthood teaching literacy and the sciences, and the Xi Dynasty building schools for aristocrats, and the Shang Dynasty building schools for commoners. And the primary thing that spread this formalized schooling of being lectured to and being taught non-survival skills like reading, math, and sciences was the invention of writing. And this is because once writing was invented and widely used, it created a new, immaterial layer to the world that had a massive impact on daily life and communicated information that might be vitally important. And with learning to read and write, more people were able to write down their skills, allowing others who understood this code to collect this newly disseminated massive information and knowledge, which again, 
increase specialization, and also increase the need for formal education. And now we have the very large period between 1500 BC and 500 AD. Now, in general, this period can be summarized with formal education becoming fully-fledged academies and cities. And while you might have first asked why, this makes a lot of sense if you take a moment. See, cities are population centers and also have a lot of specialized roles, making academies a lot more necessary and effective. But also, during this time, because academies and teachers weren't publicly paid for, they also need to be near their client base, which were middle-class craftsmen, academics in training, scientists, philosophers, priests, and upper-crust aristocrats. Out in the middle of nowhere, there not only wasn't much of the specialization needs, but they also didn't have the fucking money. You know, for some examples, let's hit up our friends and oftentimes disgusting pervert enemies, the Greeks and Romans. The ancient Greeks in this time period relied on independent philosophers and teachers to create the curriculum taught at their academies attracting people that want to learn from them rather than necessarily having state-mandated curriculum. Even with that, by 350 BC, Athens was teaching their children not only reading, writing, and math, but also art and industry, like sculpting, painting, woodworking, and other you know craft work that my soy hands don't do. And most of this, much like previous centuries, was being taught by scribes and priests, you know, which is common for much of human history. In Rome, starting around the 4th century BC, schools were developed, but with a lesser focus necessarily on education and specific jobs, craftsmanships, or topics like Greeks, they were more focused on forging strong bonds between Romans with a bit of rudimentary education thrown in. And this continued to proliferate until about the 2nd century BC. And by their height and towards the decline and fall of Rome, these schools educated middle-class and upper-class children for their futures in their middle-class and upper-class jobs, while dirty, lesser, lower-class Romans went to school for stuff like friendship and unity. And fucking losers. Now, note these changes aren't only happening in the West. In the East and other parts of the world where civilizations were becoming highly specialized and having dense population centers had either essentially the same changes, or like China, Korea, and Japan had similar alterations, but with a different purpose. Because of the proliferation of philosophies like Taoism, Buddhism, and Hinduism, like what we discussed last episode, a lot of education was focused on self-improvement and enlightenment done in temples and schools taught by religious leaders. But in China specifically, it's also common for lower and middle class people to go to school to prepare for government service, since China had been developing a level of bureaucracy that modern politicians would be jealous of and they needed armies of administrators, agents, and scribes. And because of the size and influence of China, this was picked up by a lot of other homogenous and large governments that often interacted with them. Alright, now we get to the period of 500 to 1500. And again, as you can see, we're more going over the vibes rather than specific dates so far. So in Europe, from around the collapse of Rome and through the early Middle Ages, a lot of education was centered around religion. And was this because the Catholics had all the power and wanted to control everyone? I mean, maybe, but not quite what I meant. See, the thing is that religious institutions like temples tend to survive a lot of civil unrest and upheaval because people find them sacred, and also the people who live there tend to be well-educated, so they can keep their religious information straight. Meaning that when Rome ate its own ass until it died, 
churches often survived, and the books within did too. Meaning that within the early ages of European and Middle Eastern Middle Ages, the Jews, Christians, and Muslims were the center of teaching and education, where the local monks, priests, imams, rabbis, and other religious positions taught local populations not just scripture, but their skills, oftentimes including reading, if not writing. Now, beyond this, if you lived away from religious centers, you were kind of shit out of luck unless you were rich. In which case, you went to other centers of learning that mostly survived the fall of Rome, like sparse universities and academies. And given that the Far East didn't give a scrotum of a fuck that Rome didn't exist anymore, education became more and more democratized. I mean, kind of. While unlike in the West, there weren't exactly laws preventing people from receiving education, most of these places weren't cheap or were literally out in the fucking mountains or deep in the cities and were a motherfucking nightmare to get to. Now, this might not necessarily be intentional to stop poor people from getting educated, which is still pop, which is still a possibility and it's shared by rich people worldwide, but this still meant that the people who got educations were people who could travel, had money, and had free time, aka rich and middle class people. But there was other options, as Hindu and Buddhist educations were still available, and Confucianist, Taoist, and other philosophies valued education, and if they were nearby, would often give free education. You know, similar to the West. And in the New World, civilizations that had higher education include the likes of the Inca and the Aztec. For the Inca, their form of higher education was taught by a role called the Amatas, you know, being something akin to wise men, philosophers, bards, scalds, or priests. You know, the big boy smarty pantses. But your more general education was still the same as it had been worldwide for millennia, being passed down from your elders. The Aztecs, meanwhile, had a dual system, where children at the age of 15 would begin their public education. They were divided between girls and boys, and the two options for boys were the Telpakali, Telpakali, sorry, Aztec words are hard, the Telpakali, which taught warfare and practical skills, and the Kalmakak. That can't be right, but I'm keeping that in. For writing, theology, and other liberal arts and STEM brain bullshit that isn't caving in skulls and working with your hands like a fucking man. Girls, however, had only one option. One that I couldn't really find the name for, but was a school focused on craftwork, homemaking, and according to some sources, finances and budgeting that's you know, not entirely clear. And, of fucking course, we find even more sexism in 15th century cultures. But, speaking of the 15th century, in Europe, with the invention of the printing press, mass printing becomes a thing. And with this, suddenly, everyone better fucking learn how to read, because now people are producing, gasp, pamphlets. Which means people need to learn to read and write and be literate, which in turn means there's a demand for more books and you can actually record information easily without busting your ball sack. Which then means there's a fuck ton of learning available in millions of subjects in a very short period of time. Which by 1561, the Church of Scotland creates a program to have a teacher in every parish to educate the poor. And while this wasn't just Scotland, as... And this wasn't just in Scotland, as many other religious and secular organizations followed a similar trend of placing teachers in communities, 
But for Scotland in particular, this was expanded in 1633 and spread across the entire British Isles, and this time the government was paying for it rather than the church. And focusing down on Europe even more, we have the beginnings of some of the most troubling shit humans have ever thought that was an outright genocide in the 17th and 18th centuries. So, yeah, during this time, nobles, high-class people, and aristocrats began to pursue universal education for all their subjects, and all the gross little underlings under them. And a lot of this was inspired by educators like John Amos Cornelius, who, alongside other education reformers, set up education programs for the poor and changed the, ide- change the ideologies of the rich from a perspective of knowledge is power, and if the poor have it, they'll overthrow us, to a perspective of, we need universal education. But why did this shift happen, and why is it bad? You know, because at its core, universal education is really good. Well, if you know a lot about history, this is the age of colonialism and enlightenment, and the fact that your butthole just puckered in fear is the right reaction to have. Because this isn't out of the good of their hearts. No. It's to create a strategic advantage in politics, economy, and military as the leader of a quote-unquote new and improved race of man. Yes, we got universal education in Europe because of warmongering and racism. Welcome to Western history, motherfuckers. And speaking of warmongering, racism, and abusing minorities, the British. In 1818, seeing the writing on the wall, the dirt chewers decided to get involved with all this edumacation nonsense. John Pounds, a man whose funny last name gets less funny because it's British, sets up a publicly funded system to teach poor children to read, write, and do basic math like addition and subtraction. And by 1837, the government itself began to fund public education, and as the Industrial Revolution began to take off, the public begins to push for it. And mind you, the reason the government did it is because factory workers need to be able to read and count. Not because they really even cared. And this is very much the same with the Folkskull system in Denmark in 1894 to ensure its people can work in an industrial society. But, you know, for worldwide history, this is basically it before we go over to the U.S.-specific side. Because after this, much of the world developed similar systems of public education as they adopt the Industrial Revolution or are forced to by their colonizers. And all of this is not very easy to discuss after this point since these systems have basically the same purpose but come at it from a lot of different ways. That as the world changed, public education became more necessary for a changing society to, you know, simply exist. And now for the U.S., we go back to 1635 to the first public school ever built. The Boston Atlantic School in Orlando, Florida. That Obviously not. Florida still doesn't have schools. But this school was followed by the Mather School in Dorchester, Massachusetts in 1639. While the schools around the world are starting to shift and change a bit, the schools in what will eventually be the United States isn't necessarily to teach them things like reading and writing. Rather, they're to teach culturally important topics and things like math, socializing with other children, and history, while, you know, basic stuff like reading and writing are left to the parents. You also gotta remember that, like, a lot of uh, America during this time was very religious, so, like, 
reading and writing was an important skill to learn that parents would teach their kids because you got to read the Bible, you know? But anyways, this remained the status quo in American education until 1790. And this is when states began to require basic education nationwide, but the thing is they didn't give a single fuck if you couldn't afford it. You know, the, the real American way. And this started in Pennsylvania and continued to New York in 1805 and continued with the other states into 1820. But also in 1820, Massachusetts builds the first tuition-free high school in Boston. Now, think about that. Education is both required and also not free, but also universal. So you need to send your kids to school and pay for it out of pocket, and if you're too poor, well, too fucking bad, fucko. It makes me want to sing the anthem, It's So Fucking American. Okay, and into the 1830s. Ohio makes massive leaps in public education, including the opening of hundreds of schools with locals funding them either through donation or taxes to ensure kids could get that learning that they needed. However, there were... However, there was, you know, basically no governing or oversight. And if you're salivating and also jerking your wiener at the libertarian paradise, I'd like to draw your attention to the number one issue libertarians refuse to think about with this. Yes, there are no rules. It means that some schools only taught math. And other schools think that math is cringe and for whiny little bitch babies and teaches only the Bible. Oh, and that one school over there, funded by STEM brain, probably atheist, teaches his students classical Greek philosophy and mathematics, but turns into a ball of screech if someone says, praise Jesus in its presence. But luckily, for the sake of universal education being, you know, actually universal and useful, in 1847, the Akron Law passes in Akron, Ohio which forces schools to have the same curriculum across the board and funds all of them with the same pool of funds. And this spreads to the rest of the state by 1849. Now, we also need to take a moment to discuss something extremely important that has to do with education, but might be more fitting in an episode on race that, holy shit, I am not going to do because I'm too fucking white. And that is the Indian boarding schools. And again, as I've said in other episodes, Time Suck did a fantastic episode on this, but there are also other podcasts from people who are indigenous to check out for details about this, like the Illuminative podcast, American Genocide, The Crimes of Native American Boarding Schools. Yeah, that title doesn't really leave anything to the imagination, but to put it simply, this was a system in which white people would take Native American children from reservations, forcefully put them into a school to anglicize them, strip away their language and culture, and entirely make them dependent on white society in order to strip their connection to their people and commit genocide. Which is fucking awful on its own, and again, is literal genocide in every way, but just straight up killing them. But, you know, saying in every way but straight up killing them is also discounting recent findings from areas around these schools. Now, see, while you might expect them to be racist and callous people or misguided evangelists, this isn't the full extent. Because where there are vulnerable children being abused, there are also monsters. A lot of these schools have recently been discovered to, or old information has been brought to light, that have children's bones around them. And 
there's a long uncovered history of pedophilia, torture, full-on serial killers at the at these schools. And all of this was either suppressed or hidden, by the way. And this is a massive dark mark on U.S. education, and it's something that doesn't really ever get taught in, like, actual schools. Oh, and uh, do you want to know how long they were around? Until 19-fucking-78, when parents could refuse to send their schools to off-reservation schools. What? And continuing on from that horrific thing that happened from the time my great-grandparents were dicking around to the time my parents were shitting in diapers, we have the Civil War. Oh, fuck. Okay, but because of slavery and the war to end it, there wasn't a ton of focus on figuring out the education system. So the education system basically just looked like Europe's right before the Industrial Revolution. A series of schoolhouses established by both rich individuals and churches. But from there, we move into the Progressive Era. Now, we've covered this a bit in the Capitalism and Socialism episode, but to recap, the Progressive Era is a period of American history where the powers that be realize that actually there's quite a bit of money and power to be gained if they help people out just a little bit. You know, kind of hard to squeeze blood from a stone, you know? And so a ton of people began advocating for public education, including John Dewey, an American philosopher, that called out the education system for ill-preparing students for the new industrializing world, saying education should be to prepare oneself for the future life means to give him command of himself. It means so to train him that he will have the full and ready use of his capacities. And because of the shift in the progressive era, Amer- and because of the shift in the progressive era, education in America shifted away from this is good for rich people and also racism, and became this is good to mass-produce factory workers. Oh, sorry. Learn baseline skills to survive in the U.S. and the ability to create your own destiny. Sorry, slip of the tongue. And what follows is a flurry of educational improvements over the next century. Beginning in New Jersey in 1909, teachers gained tenure for the first time to protect them from the whims of the government and politics of the time. Uh, tenure is basically you have to have just cause to fire someone. You can't just get rid of them because you don't like how they teach. Following in 1930, the lower 48 have passed laws making something to akin to K-12 required, but still not making it free. Which again... Very American to say that education is a universal right of all Americans that gives them power of their own destiny and then make them pay for it. However, for all you patriotic anthem singing folk out there, you're going to get real mad because in 1965, LBJ, the fucking commie, passed the Elementary and Secondary Education Act, which caused the federal government to foot some amount of the bill of each state for their K-12 systems which effectively made K-12 the law of the land as states begin to agree to this program and also start similar programs. And then we fast forward to the 1980s when Ronald motherfucking everything Reagan started the A Nation at Risk initiative to evaluate public schools on a federal standard, as well as standards to test teachers, done by their employers. The people being tested on a federal standard for the performance of their district. If you don't see a problem with that, that's your fault. Also, the teacher evaluations directly affected their pay, but also the federal government doesn't want you to spend too much money. So again, if you don't see a problem with that, that's 
your fault. Ragged, you motherfucker. But again, fast forwarding into the 2000s, we have the Goals Act and Improving American Schools Act in 2000, which both increased funding for the K-12 system massively. Note that these are the primary major increases of funding for K-12 since. Now, then in 2001, No Child Left Behind passes, requiring schools to perform assessments taken by their students to determine their funding. Which is kind of fair, it makes sense. But you know what doesn't make sense? That there isn't a federal standard. It's on a state-by-state basis. Yep, universal education. And the power of the federal government is further reduced in universal education in 2015 with Every Student Succeeds Act, which gives states more individual power over their evaluations and standards. And now, sure, I have issues with authority, and so you might have assumed that I'd be happy with loosening federal rules, but I actually hate it. Why? Because I'm a leftist collectivizing piece of shit? Not necessarily this time. Rather, it's because Florida, Alabama, Missouri, Mississippi, Louisiana, Texas, New Mexico, Oklahoma, and Arizona exist. And look, this isn't to say those states have nothing good. Disney World and New Orleans are pretty cool. Also, one of my friends used to live in Texas, so yeah, that's pretty cool. But, I don't know about you, but I'm not entirely sure that I trust good old-fashioned Confederates welcome here, Texas, to write curriculum that accurately depicts history and teaches your kids accurate science. Uh, But the final part of the history to discuss is 2020, with COVID-19 taking learning online. And this entire process made everyone very aware of the problems with the education system and also put its name back in everyone's mouth. Beyond the quality of education being called into question as parents could now hear and see the lessons, a lot of questions about internet access, educational rights, child safety, and food security, you know, also got the limelight. Like, if kids can only get away from food insecurity and abusive parents at school, how are we going to deal with that? And the thing is, we never answered these questions. Why? Well, because enough Karens got tired of their kids being around and So they demanded that schools open back up, and also COVID faded away from our very short attention span for more than five seconds, so we opened schools back up, and Jesus Christ. Uh, But speaking of a short attention span, let's go to the modern day. Okay, so we're going to start here with talking about educational placement and rates before we talk about how much we spend and what the U.S.'s best and worst are. And I won't really be sharing the actual numbers here because for the fucking life of me no one has explained what test is used to determine things like math and scientific literacy so so you know i will be sharing the reading slash writing literacy rate though but not not the other numbers i don't fucking know what they mean so starting with that at 100 percent literacy in order is andorra finland north korea Liechtenstein. Luxembourg, Norway, Slovakia, and Uzbekistan. And the reason why they're in that order is because this is based on a combination of age of literacy, gender, and overall reading rates. At 99.9% is both Belarus and Latvia. But where does that leave the U.S.? At 136th, with a literacy rate of 86%. 
which, hey, sure, 136 is a pretty bad rate, but hey, that means most of the world is fairly literate. However, keep in mind that there's about 14% of the U.S. population that can't fucking read. So, you know, dark cloud with silver lining with a shit smear across it. But now we have the mathematical literacy rate, or in other words, understanding math. And this is amongst 15-year-olds rather than adults. So in first place, we have Japan, then South Korea, New Zealand, Finland, Australia, Canada, Switzerland, the UK, Belgium, and finally, France. And the US places 18th, which, hey, pretty good. Especially compared to the first one. And finally is the scientific literacy test. And this is understanding science in 15-year-olds. At first is South Korea, then Japan, Finland, UK, Canada, Australia, New Zealand, Austria, Ireland, and finally Sweden. And on this list, the U.S. places 14th, which, again, not bad at all. But how much are we paying for all this? Well, nationally, the federal government spends about $60.34 billion, or $1,193 per student, which is about 0.32% of your federal taxes. Wild, huh? Now, looking at it from a state level, states on average spend $357 billion, or $7,058 per student, which is on average 3.76% of your state taxes. And to me, this feels a little backwards, because the feds and the state disagree on what to teach. Like, for example, an accurate account of slavery and the genocide of the Native Americans and if the state wants to teach history wrong, the school would be out a lot less money to agree with the state and start buying the books that they, the Civil War was a disagreement about states' rights orchestrated by racial minorities, and that the genocide of Native Americans was justified because the menfolk were protecting the barefoot and pregnant white women. Now, from local governments, and this isn't like your bumblefuck town, it's like your county taxes, they pay on average... $347.4 billion, or $6,868 per student, which is, again, 3.76% of your taxes. So in total, if you assume that you live in the average state with no fucky-wuckiness and no tax loopholes or independent donors or the fact that each state is less of an independent entity, more of a vague regional area created for vague historical purposes and aren't cultural identifiers, the cost per student is about $15,119, and the total expenditure for education in the U.S. is $764.74 billion, and makes up 7.84% of our taxes. Which puts us at 7th for the total amount of money spent on education, and 12th in regards to the percentage of GDP the spending makes up. Which, clearly... If more money was the only solution, we should be at 12th place. Which, clearly, if more money was the solution, we should be at 12th place at least in all categories. But we aren't. And we'll get into the issues holding that back in a moment. But first, let's look at education within the U.S. to see where the states rank. And we're comparing this because this will go into the whole thing of education being touted as a universal right, and then having states teaching at drastically different levels and standards. Which kind of undermines the whole point of having universal which you know kind of undermines the whole point of having universal education in the first place. This will also hopefully demonstrate that even more than more money doesn't exactly mean 
better education. Because number one on the public school spending is New York at $24,881 per student. Washington, D.C. is second at $22,832. New Jersey at $21,334. Vermont at $21,219. Connecticut is fifth at $21,146. And Massachusetts is sixth at $19,193. Which is all substantially higher than average and also makes sense to a lot of us Americans. These are all liberal East Coast places filled with those leftist elites everyone talks about with stuff like unions and nice roads, so obviously they'd have good schools. Want to know what seventh place is then? Fucking Alaska. Now you might be confused because if you've met people from Alaska, they aren't usually what most of us would, would consider very liberal. And it's also an incredibly rural state that's very hard to navigate, so you'd assume low spending, right? Well, no, because while they do tend to be more right on things for guns and having militias, they're actually extremely progressive educationally, even spending extra in low-income areas. This is the last time they're going to be on the list, though, so while good on you, Alaska, you're really doing poorly somehow. But next is Rhode Island at $17,539, New Hampshire at 17456 and Illinois at $16,277. But given that, as I've told you while you listened and accepted it as part of your worldview with no resistance, like a good little podcast listener, money doesn't necessarily equal results. What are the overall rankings? So, in order of education quality goes New Jersey, Massachusetts, Connecticut, Vermont, Illinois, New Hampshire, Indiana, New York, Utah, and Wisconsin. And this takes into account everything, from dropout graduation rates, to college acceptance, to actual education standards. It's like for reading scores, New Jersey and Massachusetts are in the same place, Utah takes the third position, and Connecticut slips the fourth. Vermont goes to fifth, while New Hampshire falls to eighth, and Wisconsin crawls up to ninth. The three usurpers are Idaho at sixth, Colorado at seventh, and Ohio at tenth. Now math scores, the order goes Massachusetts. Fuck you, by the way, for having a name that I have a hard time pronouncing and then inserting yourself wherever you want in U.S. history. Utah, Idaho, South Dakota, Wisconsin, Wyoming, New Jersey, Minnesota, Nebraska, and then finally, Virginia. In college readiness, it goes Connecticut, Illinois, New Jersey, Vermont, Massachusetts, fuck you again, New Hampshire, Idaho, Colorado, North Carolina, and then Hawaii. Finally, for the graduation rate, you have West Virginia, Iowa, Kentucky, New Jersey, Indiana, Alabama, Tennessee, Wisconsin, Florida, and Missouri. And with that last one, you know, not to speak on the quality of Southern schools and also not to be rude, but that's fucking surprising, isn't it? At least half the list is in Bible Belt country. And now that I've teased it for so long, you're probably chomping at the bit to start shouting out issues with the school system in America. Let's actually get to that. It'd be fucking awesome if I managed to pull a sponsor and put it right there just to fuck with you. But anyways, okay, let's go down the list here. So first of all, poor funding. And I know I just said the money doesn't mean better, but it certainly means survivable. Because if we keep the school system designed as it is now, we don't have the money to actually use it. And keep in mind, 
school funding hasn't really increased significantly since the early fucking 2000s. You know, a whole two economic crises, three pandemics, several million people, several botched wars, and a partridge in a pear tree ago. Now, while there isn't really a magic number out there to point to to raise funds by in order to actually adequately fund a working system that keeps up with modern needs, the baseline is that what we're using now isn't fucking enough. And this and all the other issues are made worse by the alarming number of school closures because of a lack of funding. So clearly, we're spending a lot. It's not working. We need to spend more to keep schools open. And also, we need to address some things to make sure the money's better used. Okay, but also very high on the minds of people nowadays is student safety. And safety in schools has been taking a massive fucking downturn over the last couple decades over half of all teenagers now worried about mass violence breaking out of their schools or a classmate being the next school shooter. And administrations and teachers are struggling their balls off not only to assure parents and students that their kids are safe, but that they are also struggling to assure themselves of that. Because how do you fix this without making school look and feel like a prison? Something else that they're really struggling with is the slew of controversies surrounding the use of technology in education. Because, firstly, students usually understand the technology of the day better than their crusty, senile, 26-year-old teachers fresh out of college, and also understand it better than the administrators. Which means that students can circumvent safeties a lot easier, as well as cheat, crack student web pages, and submit automated reports or autofill answers. And this combined with legitimately having no fucking idea what's happening or having no idea how best to respond to the importance and ever-changing presence of technology in schools leads a lot of schools to be hesitant about teaching technology uses and, and implementing any new tech advances. Even for kids with disabilities, they'll literally need things like speech-to-text, noise-canceling earbuds, electronic, electronic assistance, and non-electronic technology to even function in school. And like when I was in high school, there was someone who needed speech-to-text, and a lot of teachers were kind of iffy about it because they thought it was cheating somehow. Speaking of controversy, charter schools and Common Core. Now both charter and voucher schools, like what we talked about earlier, are controversial because parents are able to spend public funds to send their kids to basically private school. Which, you know, in some cases I understand this, like, Sending your kids to a charter school that's designed to adhere to their physiological needs or a parent sending their kids to a voucher school because the public school is racist as fuck. But the problem is that this isn't all that it's used for. I mean, you know, white parents do it too. To Kids are just brats. And, you know, this siphons money away from the public system while also kind of circumventing why we have a public school in the first place. And Common Core is basically a guideline for what a student needs to know by the time they graduate high school, which uh, <laughs> hasn't been updated in a fucking minute, but hey, it's the government. I'm sure it'll be fine. But, you know, this is controversial because it stifles technological innovation, since it kind of just forces teachers to do the same shit different day every day, because if you don't have these things down, you're getting your booty probed by the Department of Education. And this also doesn't take into account what students actually need or want to learn about. And some people see it as the Fed sticking their nose where it doesn't belong, which, if you believe that, are, are you fucking new here? 
I'm not talking about to the podcast. I'm talking about to living in the U.S. There's not anything wrong with that if you are new, by the way, but where have you been? Do you know U.S. history? Did you go to public school here? But once again, tied into this is standardized testing, which is used to measure the effectiveness of student education. But again, this is lagging behind and fucking sucks. Because this encourages a teach-to-the-test mentality, where students aren't figuring out the subject and learning how to think critically and come up with answers, they're shown data and the answers and made to memorize it. And what about subjects you can't test like that? Well, those get turned into electives, and also sometimes cut from the curriculum entirely. Meaning that students are getting less out of schooling. Of course, schools don't only fuck over students, they also fuck over teachers. Because teacher salary has been dropping consistently year after year, with a 5% drop nationally since 2010. And, you know, while this might not sound all that drastic, understand that this isn't growing and then dropping. This means that a teacher making 56k in 2010 would be making 23k if they started today instead. Which, due to inflation, is effectively 70% of their original pay. On top of that, teacher salary, like the salary of everyone else that isn't directly tied in the powers that be, have been stagnant for a very long time. Meaning that this is only going to get worse as teachers slip further away from being able to ever not be in debt. Teacher tenure also unintentionally fucks it all. Because while yes, it's good that teachers can't be fired because they're literally just doing their job because a politician decides, you know what, fuck those kids. This also protects shit-ass teachers that produce good test scores. Because yes, a good teacher can use this as a shield to advocate for students and fight within their union for better conditions. A shitty teacher can use it to phone in classes and be complacent of their duties as long as their students score passing test scores. Which segues into bullying. Because yes, a teacher's job is to teach, but they are also babysitters for your living nut juices. And because a lot of teachers have enough to deal with and the shitheads amongst them aren't even trying to be good at their job and the administration of schools have never been particularly good at addressing it, bullying is still an issue. And while it is shrinking from a high of 32% of students having been bullied to 20%, this is all reported incidents. And if you ask me, is still too high. You know, while I didn't really receive much bullying in school and neither did a lot of people I knew closely, we had anger problems and everyone knew it, it fucking ruins kids because it makes them feel hopeless and helpless, which can make them turn to some fucked up things, especially if the bullying starts early in their school career. Now they have 13 years of feeling hopeless and helpless. Anyways, another issue is student poverty, with more than half of all students below the poverty line, which is up from 38% in 2001 and 40% of all students in at least 40 states qualify for free or reduced-priced lunches, which also, hey, fuck sticks, maybe we can just have free lunch for the goddamn children. And do we really need to punish them for being forgetful, having neglectful or stupid parents, or their parents being poor and also busy because that's the state of the fucking world now? And similarly, affecting to students is the student mental health crisis we're going through right now because fuck the kids and this is from a number of things like people of student age beginning to see the writing on the wall and realizing that they're the last generation 
to the system being a shithole to being incredibly poor, but it all results in the same thing. High levels of anxiety across the board with two-thirds of college-age students, yes I know, but it's what I can find, reporting anxiety and the number of counselors within school districts rising to one in a thousand, which still isn't enough, but hey. But added on to that stress and everything else we've talked about is overcrowding of schools. In 2012, the average class sizes were 21 for elementary and 27 for secondary, which, in my opinion, is still a lot. But a lot of students and teachers now report class sizes easily past 30, and some even report class sizes up to 40 per a class. And it's important to have smaller classes because if you've ever been in a room with four teenagers and told to corral them, and they knew that was your job, you can imagine how hard that would be. Well, imagine being given ten times that, and told that your job also relied on you teaching them shit they don't care about, well, at least half of them are under the poverty line, at least 25 of them are having a fucking mental health crisis, and, oh yeah, you aren't getting paid enough to pay the bills. And, oh, and also you're footing some of the cost to teach them. Good fucking luck. But these massive fucking classes don't let the teacher make personal connections or feel invested and forces them to be more of a hard-ass to enforce order. Which also, by the way, doesn't help to teach people. And parental involvement is another issue. And not parents being too involved, like those crazy people that flood school board meetings every time the Zuck lets another conspiracy theory onto his platform. It's the opposite problem. See, most parents end up falling into one of a few categories. Loves their kid, doesn't have enough time with them. Loves their kid, doesn't give a fuck. Hates their kid, has enough time to spend with them, but fuck them. Hates their kid, gives a fuck about their success because it looks bad when they fail. And every other combination of any of those things. But very rarely do you have a loving parent with time to give because this world is unfair and God is dead and we killed him. So because parents are often busy or uninterested, the lessons schools can't teach, won't teach, or needs help teaching aren't being taught. And this stunts social development, educational development, and the formation of communities and hobbies, as well as the passing down of social values. And finally, these last six can all kind of be fit into the idea that schools just aren't working correctly. First is the lag in innovation. See, Current research has learned how education is supposed to work, and no brownie points for guessing that's the exact opposite of what we're currently doing. How we do it makes kids hate education and also turns them into adults that don't want to use their brains because of the potential stress and discomfort, and also feeling like they're right back in middle school. I mean, trust me, it took literally two fucking years of college to remind me that I love to learn and that I want muscle mommy Athena to step on me. And if she's not ace, at least, because, you know, we respect sexuality around here. Anyways, the second thing is the lack of diversity in gifted education. And we brought up how shitty gifted education was earlier, but this isn't just the system being more poorly designed than, like, half the things I've ever made. These programs also have very little student diversity, with minority students suspiciously passed up for this a little too often. Because while, yes, being separated from your peers to do something that you can clearly see was put together as an afterthought to make you sad for the rest of your life sucks, there's still clout associated with being in tag that can help you academically and financially down the line. Which, related to that, is the lack of educational equity. 
that there is very little fair education for all students and basically all learning styles, life circumstances, and also ethnically and culturally. While a lot of teachers give a shit about their students, and I would guess actually genuinely love them in the case of good teachers, they don't know everything and don't really have much, if any, power in the system. So while they might see those visual learner kids sitting in the back spacing off because there's nothing to look at and they're worried about the lights being off at home, and also they can't really relate to their very white middle American teacher, what the fuck can they do about it when they have 27 other kids in this class and four more classes with another 30 to 40 kids each? And this leads us to the dropout rate, which currently sits at about 5% nationally. And while this seems low, understand that this is 5% of all kids in the U.S. Also, just because the number is low doesn't mean you... And also, just because the number is low doesn't mean that you uh, get to not give a shit. But 38% of these dropouts are below the poverty line, only 60% own or will own a vehicle, and and are 40% more likely to rent a place worth $450 a month or less. I want you to go on, like, Zillow or something right now, look up rent for $450. Holy shit. And this not only contributes to poverty, but also, hey, fuckos. We wouldn't have this issue if the education system was doing its fucking job and looking out for kids and the future. Okay, and now the last one before we get to the single most controversial issue on the list. Underachievement. Now, despite the test scores, college prep, and some of the lukewarm attempts to revitalize things like cooking classes, home ec, and personal finance classes, students report and are proven to be unprepared and underperform in literally all metrics. Why? And no, Boomer, not because of the laziest crybaby generation to ever exist, that'd be your generation, by the way, that are always on their darn phones and don't talk to people anymore, because the system doesn't cater to nor help students succeed and just treats them like factory molds to fill with potential workers. Alright, and now it's time to talk about the most controversial takes. Take a deep breath. Enter your happy space, be calm, summer breaks. Now, summer breaks have been an issue for a while, and one that I wouldn't have thought about before doing this episode. But why do we even have it? Well, because America used to be very agrarian, even into the Industrial Revolution. Which means that kids needed to work on the farms to help with summer and autumn harvest. And while the fall has slowly been consumed by the school year, summer has traditionally stayed as our break time. The problem is that it's three fucking months long where you don't have any responsibilities put on you by society. Which, hey, it's not how life fucking works. Also, by giving kids three months, you give them more chances to fuck up their lives or for abusive parents, relatives, and other adults who should not have access to them to get access to them because they aren't being protected by the vague shield that is the school. And also, this really reduces the days we have to teach students. Because think, even removing weekends and holidays, there's still about 60 extra days of school there. And again, enter your happy space, be calm, it's okay. If you are listening to this during your summer break, sorry, you probably shouldn't be having that. But anyways, before we talk about actual solutions, let's go to politics. Also, this is your time to cool off. 
All right. So I know that I've been treating education a little more agnostically than normal, so let's just rip off the bandit and out myself entirely. What does American politics say about education? On the right side of the spectrum, conservatives are in favor of two things in education. First, we need to privatize. Why? Because of free market, butt-fucking-cum-guzzling capitalism, baby. Which, hey, also means a lot more private companies to lobby. Now, with the most generous interpretation is... Now, with the most generous interpretation, this is meant to give parents choices in their kids' education, but we know that this isn't it. It's not against socialism either. It's literally just cronyism. The other thing is that they're in favor... The other thing that they're in favor of is returning to how school was done in 1941 and never fucking changing. You know, beating your children for you, American number one rhetoric, prayer in school, and calling the Civil War a false flag meant to make white people look bad. And on the left, granola is fucked. Basically, the focus of education should be focused on what's best for the kids and is largely, if not entirely, done with their consent. Which, while yes, is important, it does make the implication that someone between the ages of 5 and 18 know what they want out of life. I'm 24 and I don't know what I want out of my day, let alone my entire fucking lifespan. But also, you're, but also your kid isn't bad at this or dumb, they just aren't being taught right, so we need to figure out how to address every child's needs independently. We also need to give them time to grow and be kids while also giving them lives and experimenting with the world around them, and, oh, right, we should probably actually teach them something. And I'm kidding on both counts. Both of these are really overblown and ridiculous versions of reality that no actual sensible person believes. People on the right aren't unilaterally pro-big business or anti-civil war, and most people on the left know that you can't leave a single-digit child alone to experiment with their environment. That's how you kill a bunch of five-year-olds and cause property damage on the same scale as Godzilla, or me letting my undies drop to the floor. So, how do they actually vary? Well, first is methodology. For the left, the idea is that children come first and ought to be in a safe environment, both physically and emotionally. That they need to learn their own way, at their own pace, in their own time, and with their own input and opinions on the issue. And conservatives? Shut the fuck up, sit the fuck down, listen the fuck up, and absorb this shit as truth and fact, you little motherfucker, or I will stab your dad in the neck. And while, yeah, I think we need to treat children as people but smaller and dumber, that doesn't mean that sometimes what they really need is a stern shut the fuck up and listen because I'm the one that knows what's happening every once in a while to make sure something actually gets done. Second is aim. For the left, children need to learn to think critically to become their own human being that is an independent and fully prepared to succeed, even if their actual knowledge base is relatively narrow. For the right, however, children need to learn in order to fill their role in society and that they need to carve out their own idea of what normal and functional is and exist as a cog in the wheel. Which again, not as crazy as it initially sounds. Our education is indoctrination after all, so we need to indoctrinate kids into the society. And the society wants consumer laborers. But by the same token, ethically and philosophically, critical thinking is incredibly useful and important also is a massive benefit to society and in one's personal life. You know, digging into shit is something you're going to be doing anyways. Might as well learn how. And finally is content. On the left, the focus of schools on topics, projects, and more broad conceptual groupings of subjects 
being taught interdisciplinarily and intersectionally. While conservatives would rather focus on each subject individually, with hardened boundaries around them and no overlap, strict rules on when work is done and what kind of work is done, and what the lesson is. So again, granola versus authoritarian. Well, yeah, sure, I get having hard lines. Again, life doesn't work like that. Life is going to be more a general collection of topics and projects until you die, so having tools set up like that is way more helpful long term. But with that, let's get into the solutions, shall we? So, going in order that we present it, the first one is funding problems. And the solution here is literally just increase funding, forehead. Schools need more overall, and while a lot of studies don't give us a good estimate, it's not going to be anywhere near the same amount that the military asked for or Congress asked for to continue to maintain the status quo. And safety. So, rather than increasing means of physical safety, like cops on campus, metal detectors, barred windows, etc., because it makes minority students feel more unsafe and targeted, because America has a bad history of authoritarianism against minorities, and it also makes the entire place seem less safe in general, we need to work on school being a safe space emotionally and socially. You know, while this won't stop violence from the outside coming in, School needs to be a place students feel like they can go to escape the hellhole outside and to find help for their issues. And this would include things like community building, outside community support, and student intervention programs. And as far as addressing violence coming into the school, I think probably the best way to deal with it is to ensure people with very large weapons that are good at them are close to hand that will actually fucking use them when it's not to repress a teenager and then they will turn the shooter into a blood mural. Then you just scrape them off the wall and dump the corpse in the woods without name and without any fame. Anyways, technology. Because technology is going to happen whether you want it to or not. And the only way to do anything about it is to embrace technology and work with it. And you do that by familiarizing students and staff with it and helping them to understand how to use it safely and responsibly. And again, important to put staff on this too so they understand how to defeat how kids cheat using technology. And also when a kid isn't cheating but is just being a little tech genius. Or when they have a disability and they fucking need it. Now, as far as charter and voucher schools go, the only real solutions I've come across are government oversight. Because by and large, the reason why they exist aren't really ban-worthy, and also we fucking know how the education system sucks. Makes sense to have an out as much as I think that's a cop-out, and also... Not at all addressing the actual fucking problem. And for Common Core, unfortunately, this isn't a set and forget kind of system. Education needs constant work, effort, money, and passion put into it for it to work and for all of its systems to remain relevant. And we need to include teachers and students, you know, the people actually dealing with this mess in the process, so we can be sure that students are actually learning what they need to in order to survive out there and not showing up to job interviews for signing the quadratic of formula because they got nervous, and that's the response you bashed into their brain. I do also think that we need to remove standardized testing, because yes, hard numbers makes the job easier, and also makes your brain release the happy chemical when it goes up. It doesn't necessarily do a lot to demonstrate student performance. See, in the real world, we measure learning using the following. Knowledge acquired, skills formed, values clarified, attainment of desired performance, and meeting found in the task at hand. 
while standardized tests will show you the knowledge acquired, it is literally 20% of the issue here. And even then, it sucks because they aren't acquiring the knowledge, they're memorizing it just long enough to puke it directly onto the page. The better answer is a two-pronged testing method using direct and indirect testing. Direct testing being things like knowledge tests and assignments, and indirecting student assessments, retention tests, and class placements. And for the teacher issues, the answer is again to give a fuck. Teachers arguably more than most people deserve to be paid well. I think they're dealing with your fucking nightmare crotch spawn every day for years and haven't killed them or themselves. That alone deserves a paycheck, but they're also filling their brains with ideas and shaping the future of the nation. I mean, if for no other reason, we need to pay them more out of fear of a Pol Pot-esque scheme emerging again. And pretending we really need a system to investigate professional efficacy and educational practices amongst teachers and award tenure based on meeting basic requirements and revoking if they fail to meet those. Since it's not that... Since it's not just test scores they need to be tested on. Part of a teacher's job is to help students and, in a lot of ways, protect them. And again, this segues into bullying. Which means taking all forms of bullying seriously. Not just physical violence and insults. This would include emotional bullying like exclusion, blackmail, cyberbullying, and other things aren't taken seriously for some fucking reason. Like sexual assault masquerading as bullying. You gotta give clear guidelines that are always changing to close loopholes and bullying rules, and the system should instantly jump on and shut down bad behavior immediately. It helps on top of it to forge a more unified school community, giving students the ability and opportunity to forge bonds, or helping struggling students to bond. And also to see other students as people. And of course, this also comes with the realization that bullies are gonna bully, so it's also good to empower students to stand up for themselves when appropriate and teaching them how best to do that besides just shouting fuck off back or punching a bully in the dick. Because those won't work for all bullying. Yeah, so don't punish students for standing up for themselves and when a bully gets their shit rocked halfway through the earth's crust, maybe that's a moment to be like, whoops, sorry, we fucked up in letting any of that happen. Instead of turning it on the student that stood up for themselves like, how dare you beat the shit out of this troubled child we've been warned specifically about by 42 students and 8 teachers every 24 hours for the past month. Now, there isn't a whole lot more to say on helping student poverty besides free food for everyone because schools don't have the power to directly intercept poverty and destroy it. It is a good start. It would also be very helpful to give them a place to hang out and also do homework away from their living situation. You know, i.e. at the school with after-school studying programs and also providing free transportation home with stuff like late buses. On the mental health side, unfortunately the K-12 are a rough time emotionally for everyone regardless of circumstance. I, for fuck's sake, gaining consciousness and self-awareness, learning empathy, going through puberty, and early adulthood angst are all within that period. But this is something it seems like everyone forgets as soon as they walk the stage that this time period fucking sucks. And the best way to address it is to admit that kids have it rough and supporting them with mental health professionals, outreach programs, and judgment-free support is a must. So is reduction of homework, classwork, and expectations. Because as of now, kids have a lot of expectations on them, and most schools confuse homework with education. School overcrowding is actually kind of an easy one. 
to see if you introduce modular classrooms, new schools, and district realignment. I can also, on a personal note, steal from the college system and make classes and lessons a lot more flexible so students can be in multiple places, get basically the same education regardless of where they're signing in from. And this would also include letting students take classes on days that work better for them at you know more specific times. Now, fixing parental involvement can be just as easy or otherwise as incredibly depressing. Basically, you need to get parents involved more than just an occasional PTA meeting. But also, at the same time, be more understanding that parents and adults are fucking busy. They only get more busy as the world becomes more of a dumpster fire. You also do stuff like volunteering opportunities and make schools a centerpin of communities when not actively in session and students are present. You know, like having movie nights and stuff. Just things to get the parents involved and also comfortable being at the school. And now for our big six updates. First, we can begin to catch up on the innovation lag by introducing all eight learning styles into education instead of teaching to tests as a groundwork. Now, those being visual, auditory, kinesthetic, reading, analysis, social, solitary, and natural. And they learn best by looking, listening, interacting, reading and writing, reasoning, through group work, through solo work, and being outside, respectively. By creating a system to cater to these learning styles, you'd see an almost immediate downturn and failure from students. And the situation is fairly similar with TAG. But on top of this shit, actually make the classes better than what their peers get and make them feel built for the talented kids and not just some rush-together shit you're running so they don't get suspicious that you don't know what they're doing. For the equity concerns, you can modify classrooms, lessons, teacher assignments, break times, study periods, and even just seating arrangements to make the learning environment a lot fairer to students. That's literally it. Just shift up how things are arranged and when they happen, and a lot of students will do better. You know, like that senior that fails his morning classes every term because he works swing shift to support his siblings? How about you let him take study hall first period or give him an online course? Or, hey, let him come in a little later. How about the kid that doesn't trust the white teacher to give a fair assessment about her history as black American? Well, then let her switch classes to the black history teacher. Do you see how easy these things get when you pay attention to student needs? Speaking of which, the best way to fight the dropout rate is to give kids more ways to graduate, speed up their graduation requirements, and increasing both the scope and strength of dropout safety nets. Are they going to drop out because they hang out with shitheads? Maybe do what you can to not let them do that. Are they going to drop out to help their parents provide for their household? Notify DHS that a student might drop out to support their family, and that supporting families is kind of their fucking job, and DHS might be embarrassed enough to consider doing something about that. Kidding, DHS folks, you're usually great, but fuck, is the system a slow hunk of rectangular shit? Okay, also we need to entirely abolish the factory system. Now, this isn't how humans learn, and also we shouldn't be creating adults by putting children through a production line. How granola of me, I know. But if you actually teach people according to their needs and interests, you create smarter, more well-adjusted people that are more productive and actually excited to join college, the workforce, or become entrepreneurs, instead of people blindly fumbling around for anywhere between half a decade and three decades before they settle on having children instead of pursuing their dreams. But with that downer, let's go to the soapbox. 
So, as you might have gleaned, my relationship with education is a weird one. I absolutely fucking loved college. It's easily been the highlight of my life, and if I could afford it, I'd go back over and over again and, and collect degrees like Pokemon cards. But at the same time, my time in K-12 was one of the most miserable things I've ever done, and honestly, the most affecting. Because I was a smart kid in a system that doesn't know how to handle that. So I got gifted kid burnout. Because I was a depressed kid in a system that doesn't know how to handle that. So I stopped sharing with adults and started oversharing with other kids. Because I was a deeply reserved kid with unresolved issues in a system that wasn't fucked to care. So I turned into a fucking weirdo. And stacked on top of that was information I wasn't sure how to use. Things I knew I wouldn't use and some classes I loved. I love the humanities and algebra. Psychology, theater, history, writing, English, art. Those were some of my favorite classes. And working in my high school library was such a beautiful experience that one of my career goals now is to work in a library and actually use my English degree for what it was meant for. But I fucking sucked ass at school. Why? Because I hated homework and would rather do anything else. And that's stuck in my crawl ever since. Anything hard or tedious becomes homework. So much so that I fight myself to try to embrace tedium. Something a lot of people can just do. But at the end of the day, I think public education, and honestly, K-12 is the way to go. In its current iteration? Uh, fuck off, you heard the episode. Obviously not. Instead, I personally would move to make education free at all levels, and then base it mostly off my college experience. In K-12... You're doing a general education unless you want to lean more into STEM or humanities and, you know, obviously be able to go back if you want. And then you or your parent pick available classes. And then teachers really have a lot of free reign for how they run the class. Lecture and discussion with no homework and a test once a week. Homework every night and quietly reading during class but no test and otherwise a free period. Something in the middle. Or maybe a class of just classwork where the teacher walks you through it or group work, and it's all based on participation, all would be acceptable, and all of those were experiences I had in college, and all of them were great. Now, is this perfect? No, obviously it isn't, because college isn't for everyone, and college is way more similar to real life than K-12 is. And a lot of people need closer attention to that, especially when they're young, so clearly there should be school advocates or parents there to help. That's the other thing. I want student advocates. Staff members that basically act as a union for students. You go to them when shit's fucked and they crusade for it because no one's going to believe a cringe 14-year-old. And finally, if you work in education and care about your students and have done everything you can to help them, thank you. I appreciate you deeply. I say this with the deepest sincerity that I love you and you deserve so much better than what you get. I hope we collectively pull our heads out of our asses and shake your fucking hand for not raising a bunch of extremists right under our noses. And I think a lot would be going a lot better in the field of education if you, all of you who work with students and can see them grow up to become adults with high-functioning tag burnout, were the ones calling the shots instead of people just elected because people like them. Alright, let's go home.
And there you are, episode 11 done. Hopefully that was worth the wait. As always, if you have opinions, advice on how to make the show better, a teacher or professor you want me to give a shout out to, shout out to uh, Mr. Medlock, Mr. Schletty, Miss AG, Professor Hughes, and Professor Topper, and really anything else you want to tell me, make sure to email me at waithatpods at gmail.com. That is W-A-Y-T-A-T-P-O-D-S at gmail.com. Remember to check out my other podcast, Wait Hat Nerd, where I do basically the same thing with nerd topics like fantasy, sci-fi, role-playing games, etc., where I hope you'll like the topics just as much as this one. Or maybe more. And also remember to follow me on Twitter at Wait Hat Pause for more episode announcements, and maybe at some point in the future, maybe other announcements and uh, more social media shit. But anyways, have a good night. Don't murder. Have fun. And remember... Pay your motherfucking teachers what they're worth. This has been Why Are You Talking About This? And I've been your host, William. Good night.